An AP poll found almost half of Americans say it's difficult to know if the information they take in is true. Going I disagree. Into a big box retailer, I disagree. You're wear- I disagree. You're wearing you can a mask. have your thoughts and I you're can have mine. You're required to wear a mask. I disagree. It's science. I think right. most people aren't intentionally. Some are. They're a bad Some actors. are. I, mean, I think most of us want to know the, the real deal. Today, big media has an agenda. Democrats, the alt-left, propaganda, destroy Trump media, continue to ignore facts and what has clearly now become a political witch hunt. That was pure, unadulterated fascism. I know some people, even on the left, don't like to use the F word in relation to Trump and Trumpism. It's not just give the news. Stop the left's radical agenda. Republicans who have given in fully to the fascist elements of their base. I mean, I don't think the Republicans have all the answers, and Dean doesn't think Democrats have all the answers. We are going to get more done working together as Americans than we will fighting with one another. Welcome to The Lost Debate, a show for political eclectics. I'm Ravi Gupta, and this is a special episode. And as background, doing this work is often extremely lonely because there's there's just so many media outlets out there who are you know, to to put it lightly, aren't exactly above board about what it is they're doing. They're either trying to maximize clicks for likes and money, or they're politically biased and they're doing the work of a political party or ideology. Sometimes they do it and they don't even know it. And there's a saying out there that nuance doesn't sell. And by and large, that's been true in the history of media, which is like, you want to do a segment like we did on foster care last week, or you want to do a segment on buy now, pay later, or, you know, um, a deep dive into the state of orphanages in America. Well, you better open that episode with, you know, an Amber Heard Johnny Depp story or why Dave Chappelle is getting canceled this week or whatever in order to drive people to that content. And that balance is a thing that we've been talking about a lot at Lost Debate and at the branch as a company. And one of the reasons why we're a nonprofit profit is we just want to insulate ourselves a little bit from those dynamics. Obviously, we want to have a huge audience and we want to reach as many people as possible. We want to do it with integrity. And every week is a battle to maintain that integrity and maintain that nuance while also keeping you, the listener, interested. And that's why I'm particularly excited about this episode. Because in this episode, I interview two people who have been really successful at delivering objective, nuanced commentary and just you know, helping people make sense of the world. And they've been doing it while maintaining big audiences. And they do it in very different ways. So one person is Isaac Saul, who writes this incredible newsletter called Tangle, which is an independent, independent, ad-free, nonpartisan political newsletter that basically summarizes the best arguments from the left and the right. And then he offers Isaac his own opinion. And then Harleen Carr is the co-founder and CEO of Ground News. And she was a former NASA engineer who basically created all these tools that you could use to evaluate the credibility of different news sites and actually pull up different arguments that are being made in different topics and say, how are different sides of the spectrum covering a given issue? So there are two people who I would say are fellow travelers who have very different ways of going about these issues. So the three of us, you know, we're more in the podcasting, audio, video space, and social space. Isaac is you know, dominant on the newsletter space, and Harleen is uh, on the tech app space. And we all come together in this episode and just talk about where are we right now as you know, alternative, objective, nuanced news sources, and where should we be and what are the common struggles that we have? So we're kind of you know, uh, you know, showing you a little bit about what goes on behind the curtain here as a way to just help you understand the importance of the work that we do. I think you're going to love this conversation. Let's dive right in. Harleen and Isaac, welcome. This is so exciting. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. 
the whole purpose of this is, you know, we're kind of in the wilderness of what we call alternative media, which can mean a whole lot of different stuff. And I'm not even sure that's the right term anymore for this behemoth out there of sort of, you know, news outlets outside of mainstream media. But the reason why the three of us decided to get together is there's certain similarities, I think, in the way that the three of us approach the news, and at least in terms of what we're trying to do for our audience. But before we get to any of that, I would just love to hear, you know, some of our audience are going to be really familiar with each of our work, but I think some people are probably going to know about some of us, but not the others. So I would love to just hear from you a little bit about what it is you do and why you started your respective news media platform. Harleen, why don't you start us off? Sure. Uh, first of all, really excited to be on here, Ravi. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm CEO and co-founder of Ground News. Ground News is a news platform where we we aim to show full picture news and contextualize news. We do not generate any original content. All we do is show every single news story from as many diverse perspectives as possible and leave the critical thinking very much uh, up to the reader. Um, and a bit about myself, I'm not a journalist, so disclaimer up front. I'm not a media <laughs> person, not, no media training whatsoever. I'm a humble engineer who started uh, the platform to solve the problem mainly for myself, trying to get my head around how we can read news where when news is coming at you at so many million directions and how to make sense out of it. And ended, ended up creating something that is now getting uh, used by a lot of people and they are finding it helpful. So I'm pretty happy to do that. Oh, thank you, Harleen. What about you, Isaac? Yeah, so uh, similar to Harleen, actually, I started my political newsletter, Tangle, because I went looking for it out in the wild and I couldn't find it. Um, but, but basically, I have a background as a political journalist, and I started a politics newsletter that tackles one big debate that's happening in the political world every day. And we do that by essentially summarizing the main story and then very explicitly sharing opinions from the left and the right on that story. And then I offer my own take as you know, an open-minded political journalist whose politics I think are pretty independent and incongruent. And so my <laughs> goal is really just to get people exposed to a wide range of political views on whatever the big debate of the day happens to be. And it, it comes from a, a general belief that most of us are kind of living in our news silos, which I'm sure is something, you know, Harleen has seen too in her work. And I know uh, I use Ground News a lot. It's an awesome tool. And yeah, I, I think like we've had some success because there's real thirst out there for people who want to get out of their echo chambers and out of their media bubbles and, and be a little bit more challenged than they are right now. Well, absolutely. And I'm, I'm such a fan of both of your respective organizations. We use them here at the branch almost every single day. And, you know, a little bit about us, we're a nonprofit media company that basically trying to get at the same problems that you two are, which is we're trying to create a news outlet that we would want to read and that we could trust because we found that when we, we started about a little over a year, maybe a year and a half ago, we would, we would try to read mainstream publications and alternative sources. And often we felt like people were leaving something out for explicit reasons. And so we wanted to create a company that, that actually just tried really, really hard to find the truth, no matter if it was inconvenient for you know one quote unquote side or the other. So we mainly do podcasts. So we have a series of shows, the Lost Debate Show, Sweat the Technique, which is about education. We have a Spanish language show, et cetera, mostly podcasts, but we do video and social as well and have some newsletters. But I think like one thing I've heard 
actually what I just said and the two of you have said is we basically start with a problem that we're trying to solve. Um, for each of you, was there a moment like where you just were like, uh, there was an issue where you felt like you were struggling to find the answer to something and you couldn't find it in, a, in an, any of the outlets that you were consuming? I actually feel that way about pretty much every single issue, to be honest. (laughs) You know, I never had one big aha moment. It was more like I found myself, you know, reading a story about a breaking news event in the New York Times, not their opinion section, to be clear, just the straight news section, and then going and reading the same story in the Wall Street Journal and realizing that there were like facts, studies, quotes, perspectives that were just completely omitted in the Times article. And if I'd read the Wall Street Journal story first, I'd have the same experience going to read the New York Times. And it's not because I think, you know, the journalists or reporters are bad people or evil or conniving. It's because, you know, they they have perspectives and sources and they have editors who have biases and worldviews. And those things just bleed through in stories like that because you have to make really tough choices as a journalist. And it just be- became apparent to me that, you know, you couldn't just read one news source every day and get the full picture. You had to go out there and collect a bunch of different stories to really get a holistic view of the news. And I just wanted a place that did that all in one spot, uh, which which didn't really feel like it existed. Yeah, exactly the same as you, Isaac. Um, I felt like I had this moment where where I would have like 30 tabs open and I'm trying to <laughs> compare. And at one point, being a true engineer, I had like spreadsheets of things going on. And I'm like, okay, no, I don't do this for a living. I can't, I can't have this much time and effort. And whereas you it felt like you needed to put in so much time and effort if you really wanted to wrap your head around what's going on uh, about right. any single news story, uh, which uh, you you would have thought it's only political topics, but it's not. It's sports. It's it's you take anything and, and there is facts that are equivocated or or totally omitted and or or exaggerated. So so I just felt like instead of making news as a project, there needs to be a simple platform out there that does that for you. And um, I think us and Isaac do very complementary work. We don't have the capability where we can really dive into and put out our own voice. But what we do is we show you what exists out there, but mm-hmm. we're very much contextualize it. And yeah, yeah I, I could share my example here, which is, you know, I think this must've been two years ago now, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, if you guys remember that, you know, I come from democratic politics. I still consider myself a Democrat. And most of the people in my world and, and most of the, the news outlets I was reading were telling the story in a very particular way. And at that time, I was starting to build this company. So I started to consume right-wing outlets. And what they were saying was, it was a totally different story. And so I found myself really perplexed where like coming in, I said to myself, I, my bias was always to distrust right-wing media because that's just kind of the world I came from. But I, I said to myself, well, let me let me go through the exercise of seeing this from their perspective, like just assuming, like, you know, taking every claim they make and testing them as opposed to just dismissing them outright. And what I learned there was it wasn't that I came out of it thinking, hey, Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero or something like that. But what I did learn through that process was as I watched the trial of myself and really took the arguments of the right wing media seriously, was that I was not surprised at all that that was a not guilty verdict. Like, and I think so many of my friends on the left 
were shocked and were like throwing all these accusations out there about the jury and all this. And I, as somebody who was just watching it, I was like, you know, I just don't think the prosecutors made their case in this trial. And that kind of set us on this journey. Like that was right at the beginning of this company. We're like, all right, no matter what the issue is, no matter what your initial response is to somebody, do the work. And it's, it's, I don't know if you have this experience, but I find it a very thrilling process to take something where you have a particular instinct and to test that instinct and find out you may be wrong. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I just, about the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, I'd say too, one of the fascinating things about that story from my perspective was not just the kind of information or perspective you'd come away from by reading right-wing media outlets and how it would differ so so drastically from the way left-wing media outlets covered it, but also that because so many left-wing media outlets framed him as, you know, this like ruthless murderer from the beginning of the incident, a, a lot of right-wing outlets responded to that with their own kind of extreme absurd yeah. take as well, where they just propped him up as a hero. And it's like they, they almost made each other's coverage worse because there was like this constant PR battle rather than news <laughs> yeah. reporting that was happening about who he was and what the story was. And I think that's really like informative about how it often works right now in, in the media space. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love going into a story and having my you know, my views challenged or changed over time. And I talk about this in Tangle a lot, but I'm a huge proponent of people changing their perspectives. I mean, I ask readers all the time, like, when was the last time you changed your mind about a big political issue? And most of them really struggle to think of an instance where that's happened. And my response to that is, you know, Th there's no way you're right about everything. So either right. you're just surrounding yourself with views that reaffirm your priors, or you're like the smartest person ever if you're never changing <laughs> your mind. And it's probably not the latter. Like, I hate to break it to you. So um, yeah, I think it's a great experience to to go through that. And I, I wish more Americans would would be open to it. And Isaac, what's your example, like when you think about that question for you, not just the last time, because obviously you do this for a living, so you, you change your mind a lot, but what's your favorite example where you're like, whoa, this was like a real find, like where you were, you were researching a topic and you're like, I did a complete 180 once I discovered this thing or this source. You know, I, I think probably the thing that has had the, one of the things that has had the biggest impact on me maybe wasn't like a particular find, but it, it's been my experience writing and reading about abortion, which like coming into it, I have like, I think pretty standard pro-choice left-wing views, even though I think the source of them are a little bit different than a lot of people on the left. Like my, I, I view it as like a, this is not an issue the government should be involved in. So it's almost like a libertarian, small government type perspective that puts me there. But um, I had a lot of, preconceived notions about why people were pro-life and what their, you know, the, the sort of like religious zealotry I associated it with. And the more I wrote about the issue and the more I heard from readers who were pro-life, uh, the more I realized that religion was very often not the the root of it. And that a lot of those people actually had fairly consistent pro-life perspectives where they were, you know, also opposed to the death penalty and also in support of more money and funding for new mothers and child welfare and things like that. That That is like a, a, a kind of a voter that I don't think you see characterized in the mainstream press a lot. It's usually like 
pro-life people are kind of religious zealots who want to control women's bodies. And, um, and I didn't get that from a lot of the interactions that I have when I talk to voters. And I think I, I've grown much more empathetic to kind of that position and where it comes from. And in a lot of cases, I think there is some sort of virtuistic protecting an innocent life worldview that those people have, even though I think most people who are pro-choice would think of pro-life people as being like, typically really conservative, really right-wing people who just want to control women's bodies, which has not been my experience in, in interacting with voters who, who hold that view. So that's probably one instance where like my perspective changed in a pretty big way from, from writing about it. And Harleen, when you, when you think about the work that you do at Ground News, is there, is there a particular issue that you think about a lot when you're like, okay, this is why we do what we do, because the hmm. coverage of something is so crazy. You know, like when Isaac talks about how you know, each side, and I don't like to think of it as two sides. Sometimes I think there are as many, especially in this, you know, alternative media landscape, but different, you know, people on opposite sides of ideological spectrum are going to make them each other worse. Is there an issue where you, you, where yeah, he says I, that you're like, well, I think about that issue. I, I almost wish it was one issue, but every single day it's like, so many divisive issues. And, um, and something we realized, uh, doing this, over time, which we didn't set out to do, to be honest, was the stories that are being covered by each issue about each, each issue are very, very different. So it's not that the same story gets covered as we were talking about, very exaggerated, I, I was saying, but it's just totally different story. So your opinion about what's happening in the world is very, very different depending on what news outlet uh, you're reading. Um and another thing that we totally stumbled upon and we didn't take take credit or we can't take credit for is something called blind spots. Isaac, thanks for giving a shout out to our blind spots uh, ever so often. And then uh, what what we define as blind spots are those news stories that get unproportional coverage from right or left. And this is something that was so telling to us. It's not that the bias lies in how you cover an issue. Bias totally lies in what you decide to cover as a news outlet. So uh, we even did the exercise of comparing uh, the front pages of, let's take cliches, CNN and Fox News. And and I remember the only overlapping story was Harry and Meghan, which was like, okay, so <laughs> that's the only thing these guys can agree on to cover, but there is nothing <laughs> else. Uh, so it's, it's very, very, it's, I almost think of our work as, exposing how the media game is played, that you can, depending on what you end up reading, what news diet you end up consuming, will totally uh, make your world opinion uh, depending on that, not not just yeah. not just politics at home. Yeah, you make me think about, we, we did a thing on uh, these things called recovery schools a couple of weeks ago, which are schools for kids who are, who are uh, dealing with substance abuse disorder, use disorder, uh, addiction, essentially. And, you know, there's some statistic, like something like 3% of kids in the U.S. in the past month or something, abused in uh, a prescription drug, medication, opioid. And we talked about how there's a handful of schools, not many, that treat those kids and that they're like struggling for funding and the federal government and states often don't know how to establish these, even though the data is pretty strong that these schools are doing really good stuff. And we just pulled the data on the news coverage of recovery schools, which you'd imagine is, should be like a huge national priority given the prominence of the opioid epidemic and the student children, right? And then we compared it to critical race theory and the coverage of that term. And it's astonishing, basically no mentions in the media outside of a couple articles on recovery schools 
over the past couple of years. And at the same time, just never-ending coverage of critical race theory. And obviously the media is not the only people responsible for this. The politicians are driving the coverage and the, you know, there's this weird feedback loop between politicians and the media. But I guess like you're both very successful at what you do. What I often hear from media outlets is, look, I would love to do, you know, we did a story on orphanages and foster care last week. We spent like 30 minutes or an hour on those topics. And what they'll say is, if I did an hour on foster care, nobody will listen to my show or read my newsletter or whatever. But I need to lead with, you know, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp or something in order to get those eyeballs. What do you say to people who make those arguments? So I think, uh, yeah, you can't, I always... I feel like news diet is such a great, great analogy because yes, you can't just keep asking people to eat broccoli. <laughs> yeah. You need, you need uh, things, things that are more entertaining, but at the same time, yeah. Uh, covering important coverage or covering important stories. Uh, it's not, again, my example of CNN versus Fox, they both covered uh, Harry and Meghan, but what right. they missed out was all the other stories that they couldn't agree on and pe- cherry picked with stories to write about. So they both might have, both right wing and left wing media might have written about critical race theory. And it's interesting, by the way, next time you want to do a project, Ravi, please ask us for all the stats. We have meta coverage of every single time a topic gets covered, and we would love to share that with you. Oh, yeah. Let's do and it. We yeah. even tell you how many times left covered that particular topic versus right covered that particular topic and who, where does the main coverage come from. And we do the same for, for example, politicians uh, or uh, which which politician or which issues do they decide to talk about and how do they get coverage? Do they get more local coverage versus national? So all that slicing and dicing of data we can provide. Um, but but yeah, what you're touching upon there is the, I think one of the cause of of uh, polarization and again I I am looking at it as an outsider is the is the monetization of content. So especially those news outlets that are monetized through um, ad-driven revenue and even some subscription ones, you have to write what people want to read. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get, you're not going to retain your audience. So there is a big cause to the the problem that we are talking about today, the polarization, that the media uh, outlets have just chosen a spot on the spectrum and say, okay, this is my spot. And every time I've spoken to... Uh, a news outlet, a publisher, and said, oh, we rate you as lean right, and this is what we – and they've been very comfortable. It's not that, oh, you, I should be very center, rated center and factual. No, I'm okay be, uh, owning that spot, but I am. I would love to own that audience and get that piece of revenue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very different motive, and, and it's just how do we solve that problem then? Because I think the term term is like called audience capture, right? I think uh, that's that, like a that big. Makes sense. You have to almost like in order to exercise integrity. Sometimes you have to be willing to disappoint your audience, which I know is really hard. I was just going to say. I mean, I, I I audience capture. I think is a huge issue, especially with a lot of the more like heterodox and independent writers who are coming up. Who I think once they get bucketed in that kind of independent media they feel like they always have to fight the mainstream yeah. narrative when sometimes the mainstream narrative is just actually closer to the yeah. truth that's why <laughs> yes. it's the mainstream narrative yeah. uh, and and it's like a very interesting phenomenon to watch unfold but i would say too just to the point harleen is making i mean i tell readers all the time like they have a role and a responsibility in that dynamic too like 
the New York Times puts a story about, you know, uh, a rumor about Trump being with a prostitute in Russia on its homepage next to a story about, you know, healthcare reform. And the Trump story gets a million clicks and the healthcare reform gets 5,000 clicks. Readers just sent a message to the New York Times about what they're interested in. And right. like, you should think about your click like you think about giving somebody money, giving somebody a dollar, because that's what it is. And, you know, the the more that we reinforce that as readers, the more news outlets are going to lean into that stuff because they have to keep the lights on and they have to make money. And that's how businesses work. So, you know, it's it's a two-way street in my view. And I think a lot of American consumers don't quite understand how big of a role they play in those decisions that media outlets make right now. Yeah. And it's such a hard message to deliver to people is to be like, Hey, just be better about what you're clicking on and, you know, eat your spinach. Uh, but, but I think there are probably smart outlets out there that are smarter than I am about mixing the Amber Heard story with the, you know, the orphanage story or whatever. It's a constant debate we're having internally because it's just like not in our nature. Like I, I honestly don't want to spend an hour or two figuring out why everybody's mad at Dave Chappelle this week, but it probably would help. Like it would probably help people understand foster care better if I did that part of the story better, you know, and it's like a thing that we're, it's a constant debate internal here. And that's one one of the hypotheses we have at Ground News is the future of news will have to be multi-source. I think yeah. every single news outlet can cover so much and speak to uh, speak to uh, an audience or cover this uh, so many topics. But us as consumers are we are getting so uh, we are looking for such personalized news coverage. So my interests will vary very different than Isaac's or yours, Ravi. So it's we are looking, and I think social media again going to the filter bubbles have spoiled us so much that we are used to that customized content. So and we are not yeah. going to be able to get all of that from one single news outlet. Mm. And that's where I think um, uh, that's where we we are looking towards future and saying it has to be multi-source, not just from a perspective of diverse uh, narrative around a news story, but also the specialization of content that the consumer has started looking for. Hmm. And for both of you, you know, you both play critical roles in this, this media ecosystem right now. What's the thing that you wish existed that doesn't exist yet and that you, you know, don't have the bandwidth or expertise to create? Like, if you're like, oh, man, I just wish there's just like this pot of money out there that could be like without any bias pushed in a certain direction to create something. And maybe the money isn't the issue. What's the thing that you wish existed out there? I really want to see the kind of, you know, balance media that I feel like we're doing in Tangle or that places like Ground News are doing that. That's like an, an, an exposure balance where people are getting exposed to a, a high degree of variability of views. I really want that like in high schools and colleges across the country. I mean, my view, my cynical view is that most Americans who are like in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s are almost like a lost cause when it comes to this now. Like, like the, it's the, you can't teach an old dog new tricks type attitude that, that I have, I see in my own interactions with readers. That's like the hardest cohort to move on their views or to, to just like step back and say, you know, I might be wrong about this issue. And I think it's because most of the media outlets that they really trust, whether it's the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Fox News or whatever, they have sort of 
gotten into these kind of entrenched partisan postures in their coverage. And it's just like, they're the news outlets they trust and they're really hard to break. And I feel like the next generation is coming up with a different problem, which is that there's like a lot more sensitivity to views that they don't like. And they, you know, on both sides, I know that's typically the criticism of like liberals, like young liberals, but I think it's actually true of young conservatives too. It's, they're not like particularly open-minded either, in my opinion. Um, and I think like that next generation is something I would love to see somebody dump money into like helping facilitate a more open-minded next generation of news consumer, because, um, I think they have like the most potential to sort of change the country in a positive way and kind of impact the the way the future of news is is done. Yeah, there's a there's some good data out there by a partner organization of ours called Murmuration, where they looked at Gen Z and their malleability on key issues, including education, and they're the most malleable, no surprise there. And it's why, you know, we've invested a lot in Gen Z. Over 50% of our audience across our platforms are Gen Z. And it's just harder to reach them. You see, you look at where the media companies are investing. Like, I know TikTok is really loaded right now, given the sort of conversation happening on Capitol Hill. But uh, if you look at the media presence on TikTok, for example, it's just there. these media companies aren't putting as much energy and resources into TikTok as they are on all their platforms. Like if you think about where journalists are spending most of their time, spending more time on Twitter which is more of an elite niche audience than they are on Gen, uh, you know, on, on TikTok where you have the next generation. Now I know it's hard and I know it's really hard to do nuance on TikTok. Like we've been through that experience, but I do think somebody, you know, the battle is happening out there for yeah. the future. And it's just a question of, you know, who's going to, who's going to really speak to them. Uh, we actually, um, again, one of the things we didn't set out to do, we started getting a lot of interest from educational institutions, uh, uh, about a year ago or so. And uh, we've had entire campuses of universities and schools by Ground News because they don't see any tool that does this in real time. Whereas um, students don't want to look at something in the past and analyze it, but want to consume their news and be exposed to different ideas. And all these information literacy laws that are being passed, there are not many tools that can fulfill that. Uh, one of the special tools that we created first for education, but is is available for all the users to use for free, is a browser extension. If you're using, if you're consuming news on social media, that's where Gen Z is mostly consuming news. Uh, it doesn't work on TikTok, but it works on Twitter and and all the other social platforms. Every time you come across a news story, we'll tell you the context of the news story and also all the other different perspectives. So just putting it in context, just. Uh, puts that much more and immunizes, if that's a word, to to the to the other perspectives that are available for the for the same news story. So we see a lot of potential, I think, um, on in the education space for grad news. When you think about well, that's great. And so we'll make sure we link to that even on our side when we put this out on our show notes, obviously we'll link to both your platforms. Um, when you think about so we talk about Gen Z so, you know, thinking about millennials and older, right, the people who are more entrenched, you know, I've read all these studies about just like presenting people with information often doesn't move them. Obviously, that's what we are doing. A lot of us is we're trying to present people with information. Um, are there any sort of tricks, shortcuts, moves, ways of presenting information that you think are more effective than others and helping to open people's perspectives? One simple thing that uh, we early on made a decision is 
not to put like check marks or X's beside any news headline. So if you're reading a news headline, even let's say from Infowars that we are presenting, and by the way, we do get questioned a lot about that. Uh, <laughs> we still put it right next to, let's say, uh, a headline from Wall Street Journal and say, yes, this is the same news story and this is how, how it can differ. Um, but I, I think that makes the platform a lot more inclusive in a very different sense of the word. So even if you are, let's say, an Infowar um, staunch follower, then you come to Ground News and having it presented on the same footing as a very different news organization, you're like, okay, I don't feel singled out. My opinion is heard here. And I will start with that and then get exposed to all the different viewpoints. So I, I think just being very sensitive to... Uh, I think a lot of problems that comes from uh, extreme polarization is people go down the rabbit hole and then feel very alone and being uh, that just being being uh, being represented correctly, I think, goes a long way that that we think would help. And Harleen, how do you make a distinction between what's like a legitimate opinion and one that shouldn't be respected like for instance like very very fine line to, to yeah so like you know for example like whether like uh that pizzeria in dc is like harboring sex criminals or something it's like i'm sure you weren't like well there are two ways to see this right like you're like yeah there's actually <laughs> not, not, only not, one not, not quite uh, not quite like, so how do you how do you make those decisions because like yeah. Obviously, sometimes things turn out like every once in a while, a conspiracy theory turns out to be true, like the Wuhan lab exactly. leak theory, which I, it still has not been proven, but like it's certainly one that should be taken seriously. Uh, like, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, very, very tricky one. And again, I think that's one of the most important things that we need to get right at Ground News is to walk that fine line very well. So one thing that Ground News does is that we will not show you a news outlet that has low factuality rating by itself. You'll not go to find a single Infowars, let's keep picking on them, article <laughs> on Ground News by itself. Only when they're talking about something that everybody else is talking about, they're going to show up in that same breath. Um, and then sometimes there are other sources, uh, something more recent like ivermectin uh, during COVID. Uh, some of the conspiracy theorists out there or some of the new, even newslets, uh, news outlets started talking talking about it. We will show that, okay, these five or six news outlets are talking about ivermectin being a cure, but all the, all the, the ratings of these news outlets are mixed or low factuality. Again, not putting an X or or has it signed next to it, but very much clearly presenting it, that it's up to you, but this is very much the context of it. Mm. Um, yeah, if you talk about Pizzagate, we might cover like, how is Pizzagate being covered as opposed to there is a pizza area out there and yeah. just putting that out as a single, a single news article. So we won't do that. And Isaac, you strike me as somebody who reads a lot of sources. <laughs> is there, it, shout some people out, out there that like, you know, places you go where you're like, whoa, you may like sources people may never have heard of or sources that people may have a, the wrong idea about where you're like, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to make this up. Like reason magazine, really interesting, like perspective that I always want to check in on. Like what are the sort of surprising sources out there? Yeah, it's a good, great question. I mean, I, for me, I think, um, you know, on, on the right, I've found 
a sort of like reliably intellectual Trump Republican voice at places like The Spectator uh, or American Greatness, who I think are are doing work that is not very commonly elevated in the mainstream media, which is like a sort of Trump-esque kind of restrictionist new right you know, vision of America, but in like very intellectual sort of the Atlantic type language and (laughs) writing that I think, you know, most people think of like Breitbart or the places that are like a little more bombastic. And I think, you know, in, in a very effective way, actually distill issues in kind of like simple, plain language and try and simplify things in a way to make the point like this is like this conversation so obvious, you know, like a good example might be something like trans issues where Breitbart's going to run a headline that's like, there are two genders. And if you don't think so, you're an idiot, basically. Right. And, you know, America or the, the prospect might run a story that's like an interview with somebody who's a gender biologist and they really get in the weeds and talk about it in a very intellectual way, but they're still making kind of their same right wing case. Um, you know, I think honestly, weirdly enough, I think a lot of the the kind of left-leaning sources out there these days are very well known to both the right and the left, either because liberal voters read them and share them a lot or right-wing <laughs> voters read them and share them a lot to, to kind of mock them. So I'm not often surprised by, you know, I, I, for, for whatever reason, I think the, the left-wing media, especially in the online space, is kind of like a, a known entity these days. But, um, you know, I will say just when you go out there and you're consuming news, I think it's really worth it to, you know, intentionally seek out an oppositional opinion to either what you just read or what you believe. I mean, if I read a story that's like, man, that's like really, I can't believe it's this bad or this crazy or whatever. Or that's simple. Right. I, I will like immediately go try and search for something that's just like the complete opposite of that. And ground news is a great way to do that. It's a great tool to do that. I have their Chrome extension on my computer, but like there's, there's a lot of different ways to kind of seek out that sort of oppositional voice. And I think probably not enough people are, are doing that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much, you get so much out of the dialectic, right? And I think just like, you know, the debate dialectic, like just engaging with somebody who's different than you, like on the show, my co-host is, uh, you know, New York Post columnist who appears on Fox News. And it pisses off the audience sometimes because a lot of people come to this show, uh, the Lost Debate show for like, because they know me because I'll, I'll be on the Midas network, which is where I have my biggest show. And they're like super liberal over there. And they'll come onto the show. I literally just got an email this morning from somebody who was like, I can't believe she said that. And I'm like, and then you have to kind of discipline yourself to be like, you know, like you just, there's just some people who are not going to love it. Like they're not going to love even engaging with certain ideas. And I get it. Like I get why some people get upset at, at like sort of giving credence to certain ideas that they view as dangerous. I think the list of dangerous ideas is way shorter for me than I think for a lot of people. But I get the the sense that like, look, you have a limited amount of time and how you spend that time really matters and what you give oxygen to really matters. But I don't think the Wuhan lab leak theory should be on some banned list. Whereas I do think like, you know, accusing people of pedophilia with no evidence, that might be on my bad list, right? Like, that's like, (laughs) like trying to figure that out is tricky, you know? 
Yeah, uh, just touching on what uh, one of the things Isaac just said, um, we uh, we created that to, uh, this tool um, called Blindspotter a couple of years ago that analyzed people's news diets based on their, tw- uh, their tweet history. And it's interesting, uh, we did for all the members of the Congress. And interestingly enough, um, the right had a lot more diverse diet than the left did. And mm. I think part of the issue, uh, part of the reason the why that's true is at least right reads it, even if to mock it, at least yeah. they're aware of it. But left totally just discards and doesn't even want to know that there is until it becomes mainstream. Same with Wuhan or or Hunter Biden's laptop, or there are a lot of examples until there is a critical mass of left writing about it, and then it's mm. yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm going to start taking that one seriously. Yeah, that's not that's that's that's. Both surprising and unsurprising. I think it's funny because for this podcast, I for the Lost Bay podcast, I I watch a lot of Daily Wire, uh, and I use it sometimes on the left wing show that I'm on to make certain points or whatever. And although I have like serious problems with their journalism, <laughs> to say it lightly, it definitely they surface things that aren't being talked about elsewhere. And I think what I tell to a lot of my friends on on the left is, look, like I I'm not a big believer in their worldview over at the Daily Wire. I don't think they go about it honestly often. But if you don't go near some of these issues, you're ceding the entire ground to people you don't like. And so if if there's an issue that comes up about trans rights or there's an issue that comes up about um, race in schools or something and you just decide you're not going to hit it, you're not going to touch it or the you know what's going on at the border uh, – that's really dangerous and not to even know what's happening over there, like what the conversation is, because you're going to be caught totally by surprise. Yeah, I would say, too, I mean, you know, e- even with the stories that are really far out there, I mean, I think like the Pizzagate story is is a great example. You know, I have become and and this I, I think in today's political climate might place me more, you know, right wing, right of center is you know, I, I've become much more opposed to deplatforming people and removing them from spaces, even when I think they are like flagrantly lying or, or making up stories or whatever, because what inevitably happens is they go into this smaller corner of the internet where there's less opposition. There aren't replies to their tweets making fun of them or talking about why what they're saying is so absurd. There isn't the pushback. They just get into like this deeper silo. And, you know, uh, certainly there have been examples of people who have been deplatformed. I mean, the, where I think it's quote unquote worked, you know, the, the example the left always goes to is someone like Milo Yiannopoulos who, who got deplatformed. And then basically, you know, he's like, selling stuff on HGTV or something. I saw some like video of him doing something that looked like a total grift and it's, he's not writing anymore, whatever. And the left's right. like, yes, we won. We, we, yeah. we got Milo off the internet, but the vast majority of the time, it's more like Alex Jones and Infowars. Right. It's like you take him off every platform and then January 6th happens and Alex Jones is there with a megaphone and thousands of people listening to him. And it's like, we're just like, we've taken him out of view, but he's still there getting a million listens on his podcast. And now there's just no opposition to what he's saying anymore. And, and right. to me, that's almost like a little bit more dangerous and less productive. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think like the, the Pizzagate, I mean, this is more Pizzagate talk than I thought we would have today. And it's my fault. But the, <laughs> but the Pizzagate one is, is a tough call because obviously there was a, a proprietor of that business whose life was in danger. So that always gets a little tricky. But, you know, outside of people's life being in danger in a credible and, and predictable way, obviously, because I think the language around danger is thrown around a lot, like words or violence and things like that. Like that to me is... Like there's a lot of crying wolf, but in that case he wasn't crying. <laughs> like that—that's a case where I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a, I'm a little bit more con- like confused about what the way to go forward is, and a little bit more sympathetic to at least short-term bans on on making certain claims. But by and large, I'm with you. Like I just think like the the right solution is more sunlight, more engagement, and you know if an idea sucks, then engaging with it is probably the right way to stomp it out. Or ignore it if it's truly insane and not worthy of our time. Um, but Harleen, like, how do you guys decide, like, and maybe you don't because your technology is so good, like, how do you decide what issues and outlets to sort of bring into your system, present to your audience, or is the technology just so powerful that it, it basically allows you to hit most things? Yeah, uh, the intent is to go as wide as possible as wide as possible without, um, of course, as we're talking, just hitting the news stories that are 100% not true. Um, what we do is every time the technology, the algorithm, in a very different sense of word, comes across a new news source, it kind of puts it in, in purgatory and then looks like what does this news source and looks for signals, how long has it existed, where is its headquarters, does it have a Twitter account, have they published something that previously has been also published by a credible source. So it looks for all these signals before it we allow it to show up on ground news. So um, we kind of try to mimic what a human being would do before we, we, uh, we start reading a news outlet. Um, we also have things like ownership. We try to really dig into uh, where's the ownership of a news outlet. Um, is this literally, uh, I don't know, a troll shop in Macedonia that has been put, just put out to put hate speech out there? And mm-hmm. we try to weed that out technologically as much as possible. But at the same time, we do want as many, as many voices as possible. Um, uh, uh, one of my personal personal uh, uh, things that appeal to me is international media, trying mm. to read international news as locally as possible. So mm. I don't want to read, let's say, Saudi Arabian news just from CNN's or BBC's perspective. We have news sources that are from Saudi Arabia. We had a lot of news sources from Afghanistan until very tragic things last year. We want to represent press from all over the world. Uh, one of your earlier questions, Ravi, um, if if there was a lot of money in the world, I think local journalism around the world really needs to be supported. Mm. Local journalism often is not partisan. They are just trying to do do great work by writing about local issues. Uh, I think that's that's something, uh, again, in this race for making maximum revenue is that suffering the most uh, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, it's, and it's really tough to operate in some of these countries. You know, one of our biggest our, our biggest podcasts actually is an Indian podcast called the Desi Crime Podcast, which uses true crime to expose gender and political based violence, and just sometimes unsolved murders that don't get a lot of attention in India and just in South Asia generally. And what we often hear from the victims in those cases is there's just nobody there to cover it. Sometimes it's corruption, but sometimes it's just like a lack of resources to even look at an issue. 
And that's one of the reasons why that's, that's the number one true crime podcast in all of India. And it was started by two members of our team who were college students who were just in their dormitory just saying, hey, let's look at one unsolved murder after another. And they went on to become a sensation there. And well, so, I'm surely yeah. going to check that one out. Um, yeah, they're great. They're super, they're super awesome. And it's led to a spinoff where we're trying to do, and maybe we can all work together mm-hmm. on some of this stuff to try yeah. to find more voices like that around the world. Because often we're in America where there's like a podcast per person. Whereas I think in a lot of these places, like they really, if you, if you give people a little bit of resources, it can go a long way in some of these countries. hundred percent. But again, going back to the question of local journalism in India, you would expect maybe there isn't that many resources or I don't know, Myanmar or North Korea, there isn't much local press, but places in us or even in Canada, some smaller cities are just losing their, their local newspapers or mm. they are just being replaced by, because they're so focused on distribution and they can't just make revenue. So hopefully that will change in North America at least. Well, we're running out of time here. I just want to give you each an opportunity to plug what you're doing. One thing we didn't do this time, but next time we get together, I would love to do is just hear your personal stories because I know a little bit about them, like Carlene, like engineer, NASA engineer, I think turned media entrepreneur, amazing stories. We didn't get a chance to talk about any of those. Uh, but uh, please uh, check out the Lost Debate podcast is our flagship podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And we have a bunch of other stuff, but I won't go down it. You can go to thebranchmedia.org to see a bunch of the stuff that we're doing. Um, but you too, plug what you're doing because I, I love your work so much. I'm such a fan. Yeah, sure. I, I guess I'll start just, uh, you know, we run a daily newsletter. It's free. You can sign up Monday through Thursday to get an email around lunchtime Eastern every day where we're breaking down a big political debate and guaranteeing that you're going to get six different opinions on it from across the political spectrum. And then I share my own view and kind of a mini editorial every day. But uh, I do think it really is a super effective way to get some exposure to a wide range of opinions about one issue, which is something that feels like it's really lacking right now in our political space. So uh, we have a, a really diverse audience of conservatives and liberals and independents and super high ratings of trustworthiness from from all of them, which I also think is really unique. So regardless of your political affiliation, I think it's a place where you can find some balanced news and we're, we're really trying to grow right now and looking for a new audience. And we are big fans, Isaac. Uh, ground news. You can check us out on ground.news. Uh, we have apps, we have, uh, we have website, we have browser extension that I spoke about. We have lots of tools that have helped you navigate, navigate the media landscape to get your head around uh, full picture news and see opposing narratives to every single news story. Uh, if you want to dig into a, a single story, of course, go to Isaac. But for your daily news consumption, come to Ground Up News. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both. Uh, huge fans of your work. This is really fun. Uh, and I'm just inspired by everything you do. So thank you. <laughs>